0: So under the Spirit of the Lord and the direction of the Holy Spirit, I'm preaching tonight. Quite possibly it will give us some light, maybe not all, but some light too. How all this is working. 2 Kings chapter 3 and verse 9. So the king of Israel went and the king of Judah and the king of Edom and they fetched a compass of seven days journey and there was no water for the host and for the cattle that followed them. And the king of Israel said alas the Lord hath called these three kings together which of course was not true the Lord did not do that you know, just because someone says something doesn't mean it's true. People love to put things on God He didn't say. He didn't do that. You can feel that the Lord did that, but He didn't do it. Be very careful before you attribute even praise to God that He didn't orchestrate. He put us together. No, He didn't. Well, okay. Okay. There's a lot of nuggets now, and I'm, you can pick them up or discard them along the way until I get to my point. If you pick them up, you might be a rich man. He said, alas, the Lord hath called these three kings together to deliver them into the hand of Moab. But Jehoshaphat said, Is there not here a prophet of the Lord that we may inquire of the Lord by him? And one of the king of Israel's servant, an officer, answered and said, Here is Elisha, the son of Shaphat, which poured water on the hands of Elijah. And Jehoshaphat said, The word of the Lord is with him. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat and the king of Edom went down to him. And Elisha said unto the king of Israel, What have I to do with thee? that's the guy who just said the Lord brought us together what have I to do with thee get thee to the prophets of thy father and to the prophets of thy mother who were they I'll tell you in a moment and the king of Israel said unto him nay for the Lord hath called these three kings together to deliver them in the hand of Moab and Elisha said as the Lord of hosts liveth before whom I stand surely were it not that I regard the presence of Jehoshaphat the king of Judah I would not look toward thee nor see thee Verse 15. But now bring me a minstrel. And it came to pass. When the minstrel played. That the hand of the Lord came upon Elisha. And he said. I just want to end here. Thus saith the Lord. Uh, uh, Scott come over and help me for a second Roman I don't think you know this one touched me Oh he touched me And oh the joy it floods my soul Roman. Okay. Sorry. Since I met this blessed Savior. Oh yes. Since he cleansed and made Tell him now. and now with a praise in your mouth just lift it up to the Lord we give you praise and honor and glory Come on, great praise and honor and glory here. Come on, someone just praise him with your hands and your hearts and your mouth. Out of your mouth, say, I love you. I worship you. I give you glory and praise, honor and power and might. And strength be unto our Lord. Thank you. Thank you. Amen. Everyone said amen. Amen. You may be seated. Marcus Garvey once wrote a people without knowledge of their past origin and culture is like a tree without roots. History is the teacher of all things relevant. It's what makes us and guides us. History is akin to pointing an arrow or that cursor which guides us from one place to the next. To know where we are we must know where we've come from and to know where we are going our direction perchance hinges on where we've been. Such is the case in the kings, where monarchs turned over and over again the rise and fall of those aristocrats. They ushered in violent shifts, conduct, allowances, leadership. Some kings followed the Lord while others despised the holy things of God. None were more complex and wicked than that of Ahab and Jezebel. The dual heads that rebutted God's holy men and spilled innocent blood at every turn and juncture. But like all kings, Ahab died. No ruler lasts forever. No leader leads in perpetuity. Everything, whether good or bad, comes to an end. And that a new measure must be taken. The Bible states in 2 Kings chapter 3, Jehoram, the son of Ahab, began to reign over Israel after Ahab died. But the people are still divided. The United Kingdom of David has long since faded. The North and the South Kingdoms have scarred the land for decades now. Jehoram is a mixed bag. He will remove part of the idols in the land. He will end some of the needless bloodshed of his father. He will accommodate in some measure a worship style. But he still walks in the darkness of division. Jehoram still promotes idolatry and the groves. He still leaves room for false gods, soothsayers, and witches. Yet somehow he has made peace with a more righteous king from Judah, Jehoshaphat. Jehoram is the king of Israel. Jehoshaphat is the king of Judah. Jehoram is trying to keep the iron fist of his father and mother in place. But when his father Ahab died, so did many of the alliances. Ahab had once instilled fear, especially that in the neighboring nations like Moab. The king of Moab was paying a tax to Ahab in the form of 100,000 lambs. And I quote, the wool of a 100,000 rams. But upon Ahab's death and that of Jezebel, Moab stopped paying the tax. They did not fear Jehoram like they did Ahab and Jezebel. This stop payment alone gave the green light to all the other nations that Israel was now weak and it caused a stir throughout the small and confined world in which they lived. So Jehoram decided to unite with his southern brothers. He went to find Jehoshaphat the king of Judah. Maybe Jehoram thought the two of them could form a bond and bring their armies together to defeat a common enemy. Maybe they could instill at least reinstate fear among their would-be oppressors. The Bible will also include the king of Edom in this mix of disenfranchised kings. We can only presume that Edom also hated Moab seeing that they were scorn brothers. So the three of them united, they marched their armies in a large circle for seven days until they ran out of water and supplies. Not only were they without direction, they were without food and water. Their strength ran out. It's an obvious poor choice in leadership. All the gear, swords and spears and nobody to fight. Think of it. It wasn't until they were depleted that someone had the bright idea to ask God for help. Such is the case with most. When things are going well, people neglect their pursuit of the Lord. When we are up, prayer is down. When we're riding high and our world is running smooth, there is little need to find the prayer room or go on a weekend fast. So look closely. Jehoram is caught having run out of supplies and he blames God. He's a foolish king with no spiritual depth. He's a user and a taker just because... He wasn't as bad as his father. He's still vile and wicked. Because in the eyes of the Lord, a little evil is also evil. I'm concerned that the American church does not believe that. We are still categorizing sin as white lies. As if you can color code untruth. Jehoshaphat, however knows they've made a mistake he's not like jehoram and so instead of blaming god for their poor predicament jehoshaphat asked one of the most important questions anyone in that age or this could ask he said is there not here a prophet of the lord that we may inquire of the lord by him i so desperately wish i could pause on the question but that's not the path that the lord has directed me to take jehoram is the king of israel jehoshaphat is that other king of, Ju- of Judah? And the answer does not come. From the question. The answer does not come from Jehoshaphat or his staff. Though they be the only righteous among them. It doesn't come from the king of Judah. It comes from one of the officers of Jehoram. The king of Israel. He says. Yes. There is a prophet here. His name is Elisha. The son of Shaphat. He's here. Now, I don't know why Jehoshaphat. The righteous king. Has taken up with Jehoram. The wicked king. I cannot tell you because the Bible does not reveal this intention. All I can say is that perhaps it was a fig leaf of peace from Judah to Israel. Perhaps Jehoshaphat thinks that this would be a good time to provide some spiritual influence in the life of Jehoram. Maybe Jehoshaphat was trying to see the good in Jehoram by bypassing his idolatry and going for the heart. But the prophet Elisha, The prophet saw right through Jehoram. Elisha is not fooled. Elisha sees beyond the misguided arrangement of these transient kings. And when he is pressed, he replies with contempt. He says to Jehoram, the king of Israel, and I quote, As surely as the Lord Almighty lives, whom I serve, if I did not have respect for the presence of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, I would not look at you or even take notice of you. All these kings and their armies are in need of God's direction. No one inquired of God before they began. And now they are caught in a no-win situation. They don't even know if they should fight Moab. All they know is that they have wasted their strength. And now they are standing at the brink of starvation and abandonment. The defeat now would be to return home. A return without a battle would mean a loss of credibility, of confidence, and indeed authority. So finally they seek God. Sadly, at the end, they seek a prophet. And now this most powerful prophet will step forward, Elisha. He has been trained by Elijah. In the course of his ministry, Elisha will have part of the river Jordan. He will purify a bitter spring in Jericho. A widow will pay off her debt with oil that flowed through empty vessels at his direction. Elisha will raise a dead son back to life and multiply bread and grain for other great men of God. His miracles are magnificent through his spoken word, Gehazi, the Bible says, become leprous. And the enemies of Israel will be blinded. Elisha has seen too much to be deceived. He's too dedicated to have his anointing exploited. He's far too dedicated to waste his time with these men. He's powerful. He does not mince words. None of them are fallen to the ground. That's why a sunken axe head swam back to the surface on his command. Think of it. Elisha made axe heads float. So when Elisha stood forward to speak a word from God to these awkward, confused, and altogether misguided kings, you would think that he could do it all by himself. You would think that he would need no one else in the room to share a word of direction from God. He's anointed and he's appointed. He's powerful and he's gifted. But even Elisha knows... The setting where he stands is off. The environment in which he has entered is filled with false pretense and flesh. Elisha can sense it and so can I. He's standing there in the midst of the king of Edom. No doubt a corrupt king with sinful degradation written on his forehead. He's standing there with Jehoram, the son and likeness of wicked parents Ahab and Jezebel. And then there is Jehoshaphat, righteous but not wise. Good-hearted but obviously terribly misguided and clouded in judgment. All of it, all of this mess, urged by a selfish motive to extort more ill-gotten gain from Moab. I tell you that the setting was a cloudy mix of flesh, sin, and ignorance. All three kings and their attending officers are a swirling band of confusion. No clear leader and no clear direction. All of it is wrong and in walks the prophet. But the prophet knows that he cannot find God or a word from God in an atmosphere like this. He knows that with these men and their officers, no clear word can be heard. Maybe he could give the word, but it wouldn't be received. Or maybe he is at an impasse that he cannot give the word because of the atmosphere. He's powerful. But he's not sufficient by himself. And he knows it. And hope how I wish we could understand the law of first mention. Genesis 2.18. It is not good for man to be alone. That's the law of first mention. It transcends just the husband and the wife. One puts a thousand to flight. But two is exponential growth. Ten thousand to flight. It's not good for him to be alone. He knows that the prophet knows something that transcends dispensations and times and cultures and people and languages. He knows that the spirit world must be managed in order for the prophetic word to be released. And he knows that he is not good all by himself. So Elisha does something to order the spirit world. And he says, bring me a minstrel, the musician. (laughs) powerful as the prophet is he is but the messenger he represents the word but not the worship the musician the singer the player of instruments of strings is about to order the spirit world and the atmosphere of confusion He or she then and now will play with melody and harmony to bring order into the mixture of motives. Three kings that day with separate ideas have entered the scene. The minstrel, however, will order those swirling thoughts, vain philosophies, and dark oppressions. Elisha wants to give the word. He's ready to give the word, the prophetic word to guide them. But the atmosphere is not right. He's ready to set the direction for their lives. The word, however cannot go forth the one that will reveal life and death it will give course to their homes the nations their armies it will save them from destruction and indeed starvation the word but the prophet is not sufficient of himself the word needs a minstrel the word is dependent on the musician so elisha says bring me a musician Go back and look at King Saul. Turn back the hands of time. You'll find King Saul has strayed from God. He's left the realm of humility. He no longer sees himself small in his own eyes. The man he used to be is now faded into the darkness of his own arrogance. And here is the scripture, and I read it for you. And Saul's servants said unto him, Behold now, an evil spirit from God troubleth thee. Let our Lord now command thy servants which are before thee to seek out a man who is a cunning player on a harp. And it shall come to pass when the evil spirit from God is upon thee that he shall play with his hand and thou shalt be well. And Saul said to his servants, provide me now a man that can play well and bring me, bring him to me. Then answered one of the servants and said, behold, I have seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, that is cunning and plain and a mighty valiant man and a man of war and prudent in matters and comely person. The Lord is with him. Wherefore Saul sent messengers unto Jesse and said, send me David thy son, which is with the sheep. Verse 22. And Saul sent Jesse saying, let David. David I pray thee stand before me for he hath found favor in thy sight in my sight and it came to pass when the evil spirit from God was upon Saul that David took a harp and played with his hands so Saul was refreshed and was well and the evil spirit departed from him here pastor tonight even God will give ease to the spirit world when a musician plays under the anointing they will be refreshed and well and evil spirits will depart. God made it so. That's why I stand up here tonight and say, bring me a minstrel. That's why the word comes at the end of the service and not at the beginning. Because if we had the word at the beginning, there's too much chaos and confusion and disorder and a mixture of philosophies. We've got to have the musician. Bring me a minstrel. Here, Pastor, when I tell you, we didn't come here just out of tradition, but we came here by divine order of the scripture itself before the word comes forth. We've got to have you. We've got to have you. Somebody's got to get in this microphone. Somebody's got to get on the organ. There's got to be the sound of the music. It's going to order the day. What you don't know is the word needs to come forth, but it can't make its way to the ears of the hearer until there is a word from God and a musician that orders. The chaos you'll be well, you'll be refreshed, and the evil spirits will depart. And that fact never found better footing than when we peer back into the life of Elvis, the rock and roller, the king who grew up in a Pentecostal, southern Pentecostal church and who spoke in other tongues. He sang and he danced his ways into the annals of music history. But even as he attained the grand stages of this world, with all the money and adoring fans, there was an emptiness that fame and fortune could not bring, couldn't fill it. So in the 60s, the king kept going back to the songs of his mother. He sang songs like, lead me on, precious Lord. He sang the hymns, but the most memorable moment happened in a short clip when he sang, he At the height of his fame, and already clearly strapped with addictions, it was the songs about God that calmed the storms of his life. The footage, if you see it, is striking. It perplexed the Beatles. They met with him, and when they left, they said, and I quote, Who is this king who sings gospel songs? His band said that there was never as much peace in rehearsals. That when they broke out in church songs, you can see it as the Jordanaires that backed him up started to sing. And they have all footage of it. The scene is incredible. A conflicted and addicted music star found order and peace when he sang, he touched me. There's something about music, the minstrel that soothes and orders the spirit world. And not only music, but anointed music. So many times I have a word from the Lord, but I know that nobody is ready to receive it until the worship and the praise team and the musicians have united the body. So bring me a minstrel. I've got to have a musician even in this house I know you are thankful but just let me say it this way you ought to be thankful that we've got men and women young men elderly men women children that will sing and bring order to the chaos of our world whether you know it or not in this house every week are a mixture of human spirits And the word must be preached. Every week, hurting hearts walk into this house. Wounded souls enter this place. Every week there are people in conflict. Some with arrogance. Others stumbling and groveling in humiliation. But bring me a mistral because the word, as important and pertinent as it may be, is going to fall flat. The atmosphere has got to be set. The ground has got to be tilled so the word can be planted. And Elisha did not set the precedent. He just revealed what it already was. The word can be received when the atmosphere is set in order by the singers and the musicians. He didn't set the precedent. He just revealed what had already happened. Because it very well may be tied to the angels and the hierarchy of heaven. The heavenly host had millions and has millions and millions multiplied millions of angels. But at the beginning it had three archangels. Which were over one third of each of the angels. And Lucifer is where music emanated when he walked. Music sounded like a melody. But the called him the choir director. Gabriel the archangel of the message itself. He delivered the message. He delivered messages of what a child should be named. He delivered messages how the baby should be ordered and Michael the third one is the archangel of war and of strength Even when Daniel was praying and there was a war in the heavenlies and for three weeks no answer came. Finally, Gabriel, the messenger angel, came down and said, Daniel, the Lord heard you from the first day. But the prince of Persia, which was an angel, a demonic spirit, withstood me in the heavenlies. And it wasn't until Michael came with his warrior strength and power that he did the battle. And I am here finally after three weeks, three weeks to to deliver the message to you. So perhaps, perhaps, when Lucifer fell, the absence of the worship leader created a void and produced the greater need for us to sing and to play and to praise and to worship in song and in melody. So bring us a minstrel, a singer. A player, a musician, anointed to prepare my world for his word. I need someone that would get in this microphone. And when my my brain is swirling, the songs will come forth. And it seems like they are an arrow piercing the darkness of all the confusion in our world. We've got to have a worship team and a musician that would play with anointing. Bring us a minstrel. All of us need it. Even Jesus knew the order of it and the soothing balm of singing. That's why after he served them the Passover for the very last time in the upper room, served them the Passover, having washed their feet, broke the bread, gave the wine. This is my body. This is the cup of the New Testament of my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. And then they left before they went to the garden to pray. There was a song. The Bible says in Mark chapter 14, they sang a hymn before they took the next step, before prayer ensued, Jesus and the remaining 11 were singing. We're going to a prayer meeting, what ought we to, to do? Let's sing. You see, we've got to have a musician. We need someone that would stand on this platform. Who's not about themselves. But they're serving. The greater portion of the people. Prayerful musicians that would gather together. As our musicians do and pray. That God would help them. Not just to sing well. To harmonize. Although all of that is beautiful and wonderful. I don't even know that you can possibly grasp the high talent and ability if you do know it you should thank God that they don't play in the key of L or I or Q which are not keys Brother Huttiger <laughs> thank God That they're not too flat and too sharp. But they know how to do it. That they can play skillfully as the Bible said and with a loud noise. That's in your Bible. But more than any of that. I thank the Lord. That the youth choir got up and sang. And I thought to myself while they were singing. I said oh if I could just keep you right there singing the songs of Zion I don't care what song it is just keep singing the songs of Zion you're ministering in song. You're breaking down barriers. You're doing something in the spirit world. When I walked into the church and the music had already just started, I stood there and watched everybody sing. Someone Sometimes on Sunday morning it seems like people need a little more latte, cafe mocha. They need an espresso, but they're just kind of not there yet. But something happened on this Sunday morning. I was watching the singers sing and I knew they were already in the spirit on the Lord's day. They didn't have to get warmed up because they were already there but they were working on everybody else come on with us we're going to usher in the presence of the lord hear me we've got to have anointed and prayerful musicians especially in a world where all the human spirits seem more divisive than demonic spirits i can deal with demonic spirits i'm having a tough time dealing with the human spirit The human spirit cannot be rebuked Or as the man who turned to brother Billy Cole said We got to pray for that woman She's got a devil in her And brother Cole turned and said Well if she's got a demon in her We'll rebuke that demon in 30 seconds But if she's got a bad spirit It'll take you 30 years to get rid of it I can deal with demonic spirits I'm not afraid of the devil I've dealt with the devil and demonic spirits What I'm concerned about is the human spirit Because the human spirit cannot be cast out. So bring me an organist that will play under the unction of the Holy Ghost. Just play a little bit for me now. Roman, just go to the organ. Just play a little bit for me. I'm having a great time at my house right now. My brother left, got married. He left. There was nobody to play. But I got my son now, so I don't need him anymore. <laughs> it's not true, Scotty. He don't know all the songs. A word for you today, but your world is so conflicted, you're in trouble. The word has got to go forth, but the people they've been watching too much news, they've been reading too much of the internet. they've been talking to their supposed friends they've been working jobs all week trying to get by hearing all the foul language and horrible conversations that take place yeah they've been working on their own families and such chaos Sunday after Sunday I walk in and say Lord how are you going to do this? There are so many needs I doubt they can even hear what I have to say. I'm just repeating Lord what you want me to say. I'm giving them what you gave to me I'm your messenger but how can they receive it? Their hearts are so calloused and cold. And then incredibly and amazingly I look up Find the team of worshipers. Franklin tears running down his face speaking in tongues he comes in and out of the song sometimes he sings sometimes he speaks in tongues I see Brother Grant Doherty singing and Lacey no matter what it is like it's the highest moment to give God praise and all of a sudden even in my own life the swirly mess confusion, pain, hurt conflict like the placid waters when Jesus said peace be still suddenly all the people become a the prophetic word of God and people leave the house and they say the word was for me and I know that was impossible for it get to get to you but we had a minstrel that prepared our lives like tilling the field uncovering the hard surface And the tundra now is ready for the word to get down. James wrote this. Is any among you afflicted? Let him pray. Is any merry? Let him sing psalms. The next verse talks about people who are sick and I don't believe that those two verses are connected, disconnected just because of punctuation. See, music has a healing quality. That's what all the researchers, at least a dozen institutions have found, and I won't labor there. Music releases natural endorphins in the brain that can still anxiety and, de- and lift depression. But in this house, the musician, the singer, does much more. In this house, the singer brings together the thoughts and attention of every hungry soul. The music, the worship, the singing plows us. So we're prepared. We should always say, Bring us a minstrel. I'm watching them now take the microphones and instruments, and I realize that they're saving me too. Paul wrote powerful words of direction in Ephesians 5. So many things. He said, Walk wise. He said, redeem the time. He said, next, be filled with the Spirit. And then right before he addresses the order of the family, a husband and wife, right before he does that, this is what he said, speaking to yourselves in psalms and in hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus. Before the family could even be ordered, Let's sing. Bring me a minstrel. I need you. I'm not good without you. Bring me anointed musicians that are not up here trying to do vocal tricks or to put on a show. But they're here to usher me into the Holy of Holies so the word can reach my life. I need the Lord to touch me. I don't know if I can get that done without the minstrel. I don't know what kind of prayers you pray. I don't know who you pray for. But at least in this genre of apostolic Pentecostal faith. We rely on the musician to order our service, if not our heart. So I would like for every musician and singer that sings in the front line and is in one of the bands just to come and stand here before me. Brother Scott, I would like you to replace Roman. Would you replace him and let Roman come down front? And I like for the church to stand. (laughs) Sometimes I'm uncomfortable. With people putting their hands on me. Sometimes, not always. But other times, it feels right when someone would put their arm around me. And pray for me. Like an anointing. The church is being led musically by Zach and Lacey. I don't even want to say they're doing a great job because that is really probably not sufficient. But I do believe that they're anointed and I believe they're appointed. Jack, uh, Zach works a job. He doesn't work for the church. He works a job. And he's raising up musicians And we're grateful for it. And he gave a little plea for all of you. Maybe you have a five or six year old that wants to play. He's got it in his budget to take care of the cost of the lessons. Hmm. All those things are important, but one of the things we have to have are, we have to have anointed men and women that would lead us in this room. And if there's a prayer, I don't know what kind of prayers you pray. But if there's a prayer that you ought to pray, you ought to pray for our musicians and our singers. That they would be in tune with the Holy Spirit. It'll make a difference in your life and in this house. So for a moment, here's what our church is going to do tonight. We're going to pray for all the musicians and singers that are here. Let me just tell you something, young men, young ladies. You are so important to this place. You have to live holy and godly. Because anointing is not like a light switch you can just turn on and off. you got to live separate. You have to pray before you come and play. Because if you do that... The anointing will break the yoke of the people that you don't even know that are out there. They'll come in. And when people are watching live and they're hearing the music, you're ministering maybe to thousands of people. I was with a group of people and, and they said, how's, how's Brother Grant doing? And I said, who? They've never even been here. You know your worship leader, Brother Grant. <laughs> He's popular. He's popular people are, are watching this but they're not just watching they're crying and they're praying over it because there's something in, listen it's not the same as when you're in the house but at least they're feeling something elders and then when you do it the right way the word goes forth finds its place to direct and quite possibly the word will save someone's family when you're about to starve to death, the word is going to save you. So right now, whoever wants to join us here, we're going to pray for all of you musicians.